It's a privilege to be here with you today, First Irving. I want to begin by asking you the question, have you ever been turned away? Have you ever been turned away? Maybe think uh, about a job. Maybe think about a, uh, trying to get a first date. Have you ever been turned away? When, we were, when I was younger, many times we would go to concerts, we would go to games, sporting events, we would go to plays, different things, me and my friends, and we always had one goal. We wanted to get closer. We wanted to get as close as we could to the show, to the performance as we could. But there was always one place that was always impenetrable, a place we could never go, and that was first class. I had heard stories of certain friends who had made it to first class. And when I was younger, that was always my goal. I wanted to figure out how I could get into first class. But it never happened. And the stewardess never allowed me to make it. And the defining factor was my ticket. They would always come to me and say, sir, can I see your ticket? And I would pull it out and show it to them. And they would say, sir, your seat's the last row of the plane. And I would pick up my things and walk back. I had the wrong ticket. That's what kept me out of first place. All throughout Matthew, Matthew has been teaching us about this kingdom and how you can enter in the kingdom. And all throughout Matthew, he's been showing us that the only way to enter the kingdom is with the right heart. And today, church, we want to look at that. We want to see that the kingdom of heaven is available to all who have the right heart. And today, what I want to do is demonstrate through the passage the disposition, the posture of that type of heart. If you've been with us in the book of Matthew, you've noticed that there's been one theme that we've been talking about recently. I wanted to first turn your attention to Matthew 18. And I want you to look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Did you see the answer that Jesus gave? We learned about it a few weeks ago. The greatest of those in the kingdom those that will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who have a humble heart. It's humility that makes you great in the kingdom. It's humility that characterizes the citizens of the kingdom. 
It's humility that leads us to confess our sins and to forgive one another. It's humility that will lead us to inherit eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. So as we turn now to Matthew 19, I want us to see how this humility affects our hearts. And how it makes us ready for entrance in the kingdom. Look with me at Matthew 19, beginning at verse 13. If you're visiting us today, there are Bibles in the, in the pews that you can grab. It's on page 824. That's where we'll be reading from today. Beginning at verse 13. The children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear fault with witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left his house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is a theme that Matthew has been teaching over and over again, how can one enter into the kingdom? How can one obtain eternal life? And what we see is that it's a matter of our hearts. It's dependent on your heart and where you've placed it. Today, I want to show you three characteristics or postures of a humble heart that are needed for those to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is the first one. The first is, is a posture 
is the heart that is dependent on God. A heart that is dependent on God. Look at verses 13 through 15. The children were brought to him. They might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus, when he saw them, they said, Little children, come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. I want you to notice in verse 13 that they're bringing children to him. Now, if you picture this story in your mind, it's very possible that you're thinking these toddlers or these five, six, seven-year-old children. Normally in, in, in children's school, that's what we show when they're drawing, you know, they're, they're coloring these pictures. That's normally a picture we paint. That's not what, we're ha- that's not what we have here. Actually, the, the gospel of Luke tells us that these children were infants. And so what I want you to picture are parents who are bringing their infant children to Jesus. What are they wanting from Jesus? They're wanting Jesus to lay his hands on them. They're wanting Jesus to bless them, to pray for them. But notice how the disciples respond. It says that the disciples rebuked the people. Now, when you see the disciples' response, you might be a little bit encouraged by that. Because you're probably thinking, man, these disciples just don't get it. They just don't get it. In chapter 18, we just read how Jesus said, welcome the little children. Bring them to me. And one chapter later, we see the disciples doing the complete opposite of what Jesus has told them. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Because later we'll see what the disciples do when they're under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it provides me with hope and encouragement that I will not be who I am today in the coming days, in the coming weeks, if I submit to Christ, if I submit to his word and to his spirit. But notice that they just mess it up again. Notice that they respond to the children more in in a way that looks more like the culture than their Christ. Children at this time weren't outright rejected, but they were definitely considered more trivial or unimportant. They were definitely towards the bottom of the totem pole in this society. And I want you to remember that of the last verse. But notice how Jesus instructs them to receive them. What is Jesus' reactions toward the disciples? Mark actually tells us that Jesus became angry with them. He became indignant is the word that it's used. At how they responded. Why? Because Jesus had created these, these babies. Jesus saw the value that these children had. That he had bestowed on them his own image. I want to set a little footnote here on our sermon. This is a little footnote to the entirety of our sermon. As the people of First Irving, do we value children? 
Now, you might think about the, the increasing numbers in our preschool ministry and say, yes, we value children. But I want to ask you about the subtlety of your heart. I want you to consider the subtleties of your heart. What if a child began to cry in our service this morning? What would your heart say? Would you think, man, they need to, they need to leave. They need to, they need to get that baby out of here. Or are you thinking, what a blessing the baby's getting to hear the word of God. What type of advice do you generally give newlyweds or young couples in regards to children? Generally. Is it biblical? Is it wise? Is it loving? Or... Is it an attempt to try to delay the inconvenience? Do we value the blessing of children? Parents, do you have the same eagerness as these parents to bring children to the feet of Jesus? Are you so quick to just bring them to God's word and are you quick to read God's word to them? Are you quick to earnestly pray for them? Do we value children? Look at what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Why were the children not supposed to be hindered? Why did Jesus want them to come? Because the kingdom of heaven belonged to them. The New American Standard says it this way, Do not forbid them to come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It's those who are like infants that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke actually make it explicit when Jesus says, Truly I say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What kind of heart is Jesus talking about? What kind of heart do children of this age possess? Do you remember what Jesus has already said in Matthew 5? Those within the kingdom are poor in spirit. They're empathetic and compassionate. They're meek. They desire after righteousness. They're merciful. They're pure of heart. They're peaceful. Did I just describe you? Is this how your spouse or your children would describe you? This is a type of heart that God is looking for, for those who enter the kingdom. It's a humble heart. Think about these children. Think about these infants. What type, uh, what do they bring to the table? Infants, what do infants bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. You've got to feed them. 
You've got to bathe them and clean them. You've got to put them to sleep. You have to do everything for these types of children. This is the type of dependency the Lord is looking for within his children. God is so desirous that we come to him in the same manner. That we would not look at anything else, but that we would be fully reliant and dependent on him. Think about the bills that you have to pay. That you have to pay. God wants you to be dependent on him for him to provide. Think about the rest that you need after the long week of work. God wants you to be dependent on him for that rest. Think about the wisdom that you need to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. God wants you to come dependent to him to hear from him. Jesus is teaching us this type of humility is needed to, in, to enter the kingdom. And only with this type of dependency will you enter in. It's one that acknowledges you bring nothing to the table. You bring nothing to your God because all is his. Now let's look at the contrast between these types of children and the next character in our story. Would you look at verse 16? And behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell, every, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Not only is God looking for a heart that is dependent on him, he's looking for a heart that is perfect like him. Look at verse 16. A man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? In this verse, we're introduced to a man. And later, Matthew will tell us that he's a young man. Mark, Luke tells us that he's a ruler. He oversees some type of place or position. He has some level of authority. And so that's why many times this section is entitled, The Rich young ruler. He's rich, he's powerful, he's prominent. You can see why he would come and ask, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get eternal life? Mark tells us that this man ran to Jesus. It says that he ran to Jesus and got on his knees. It's very important. But look at the question posed. What good deed must I do 
to have eternal life. What is the rich young man looking for? He's looking for eternal life. It's very interesting that the young man is looking for this. Why do you think, he's, why do you think a young man is looking for eternal life? Because I think that this man knows that there is something he can never defeat with his money and with his power or with his position. He knows death is always looming. And that's true for you and I today. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Death is always looming. And he's looking for eternal life. He's assuming, though, that he can earn it. Maybe he can, maybe he can pay for it. Maybe he can use his power to advance it somehow. Do you see the contrast of the hearts here? The children are fully dependent. While this rich young ruler is completely self-sufficient in himself and believes he can obtain it himself. These are contrasting visuals that Matthew is giving through the book that Jesus is teaching on. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 17. And he said to him, why do you ask me what, what is good? There is only one who is good. Do you see that distinction? That's a very important distinction. He does not say, look at what he says. He says, he turns the attention from the what to the who. He's He's trying to change the attention from the doing to the person. Jesus is making it clear that there is only one who is good. There is only one who is intrinsically, by nature, perfect. And it was not this man. Paul tells us this much in Romans. There is none who is righteous, no, not one. And if you're sitting here today, you need to know that. Your heart is predominantly, at the beginning, wicked. It's dead. There is no goodness in that. And there is only one who is good, and that is God Almighty. He is the one who is perfect. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is majestic. How does Jesus tell him he can enter eternal life? He wants the young man to know that he is not good. What's he tell him? Look at the end of verse 17. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus started listing these commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. 
and come follow me. What Jesus is not saying here is that you can earn or work for your salvation. What Jesus is not saying here is that you can buy your salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But why is Jesus giving him these commandments and these actions? To show how impossible it truly would be to keep all the commandments. You see what type of commandments he listed? Do not murder. Jesus has already shown us in Matthew that if you just have anger towards your brother, you've already committed murder. If you drive here in Dallas consistently, you know you've already broken that commandment. Look at the next one. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus has already taught us if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Honor your father and mother. I'm sure that our youth today can speak about how easy that commandment is today. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what our culture has shown us today? That's easy as long as your neighbor gives you what you want. Loving your neighbor is easy as long as your neighbor doesn't disagree with you. He's trying to show how impossible it is to keep this commandments. He's trying to show the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler has never kept the commandments. But look at how he responds. Verse 20. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Do you see self-sufficiency? Do you see the arrogance and the pride of this man? He claims to have kept them all. But he's failed to understand what Matthew has already told us, the depth of our sin and how our sin is not based on what we do, it's based on our hearts. He's failed to understand that it's not just your actions, your thoughts, or your attitudes that are sinful, but it's that it's it's the heart. The heart's what's wicked. Jesus now wants to be very explicit in our story. He doesn't want to leave any room for misunderstanding, for miscommunication. He wants to teach the, the rich young ruler that you can't earn your way, you can't work your way into the kingdom, but that your heart must be perfect. Look at what he says in verse 21. If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Mark's gospel says that Jesus looked at him and loved him when he said these words. Jesus, in this moment, with the harshness and the difficulty of these words, is actually loving this young man. He's demonstrating the very character of the father. He's demonstrating his love, 
his patience, his compassion, his mercy. Why? Because our God is not wanting anyone to perish, but desirous that all would come to repentance. That's the type of God that we have. It's the type of God that we serve. If you're in here today, God is not desirous that you would perish. He's inviting you into the kingdom. You just cannot come on your terms. You've got to come in the way that God has declared. Jesus is teaching that one must be perfect. This isn't new teaching. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people, or they were considered the most righteous people of this time. And Jesus is saying, their righteousness isn't even good enough. You've got to be better than them. Look at what he says in Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This isn't new to Matthew's teaching. Look at the rich young ruler's response. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. This young man was not perfect and he demonstrated it in that moment because he broke the greatest commandment that has been given to us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The rich young ruler did not love the Lord, his, the Lord his God with all of his heart. He loved his possessions. He loved his money. He loved his power. Do you remember how he came, how he approached Jesus? He came and got on his knees. It can demonstrate that you can come. But if your heart is not in the right place, you will not enter doesn't matter how much you possess or how much prominence or influence you have. If you choose to walk away from Christ, you will end up as this rich young ruler, full of sorrowful and sadness. This is what the world leads you to. Are you listening, church? Are your ears open this morning? to hear from God's word. Your heart must be dependent on God. It must be perfect like God. And it must be surrendered to God. Look at verses 23 to 30. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, 
This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. See the difficulty it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Jesus makes this statement twice. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, he says it three times. I learned at a very young age, if someone repeats something to me, I need to listen. And Jesus is repeating to us today, only with difficulty will the person, will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you might be thinking here, I'm not rich. It's a very subjective question. Because if we consider ourselves compared to Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, Amazon, none of us in here are rich, right? He just took a space trip, right? For free, whatever. (laughs) But if we compared ourselves to the people of this time, many of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, are very rich. And so we need to listen to what Jesus is saying. It's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom. He's been teaching these truths, though, all throughout Matthew. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where is your treasure, church? Where is your treasure? Your heart cannot be tethered to this world and tethered to our Christ. Jesus says it. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The type of heart needed to enter the kingdom is one that is completely surrendered to God. It must treasure God above all things. Now you might be listening to this today and you might think it needs to be a dependent heart. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be surrendered. And you might be thinking today, that sounds overwhelming. You might be thinking That sounds impossible. You would respond exactly in the same way as the disciples. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? That's our response. Who can do this? Who can enter? Who can be saved? Look at verse 26. Jesus looked at them with, man, this is impossible. But with God, 
all things are possible. This is the beauty of our gospel, church. With man alone, salvation is impossible. Eternal life is impossible to obtain. But with God, he has done the impossible. He has done what we could never do on our own. God has sent Jesus Christ to come to this earth to live a perfect life that you and I were never able to live so that he could be offered as the perfect lamb of God, that he might be able to pay for the sins of the world. He rose again on the third day so that you and I might have eternal life. but it's only for those who are dependent on him. It's only on those who come by faith to believe this message. It's only for those who surrender their lives to Christ. But God does not leave us on our own. He gives us his Holy Spirit that enables, empowers us to do things that we were unable to do before. Things like hear and obey his word. Things like produce the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. Things like put to death sin that we were enslaved to previously. He now gives us freedom to walk in that. He gives us the freedom to be conformed into his image. Christ did not save you to be a better version of yourself. Christ saved you so that you would look like Jesus. That's what Matthew 5 is all about. That you Jesus. If you're sitting here today and those characteristics are not in your life, something is wrong. You're either not listening to the word of God or you're not listening to the spirit or you're not listening to the direction of the church and your brothers and sisters. It's only a heart that is dependent, that is perfect, that is surrendered, that will enter the kingdom. And Christ makes this possible. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected, did you hear that? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Our hearts can depend on Jesus because as Matthew has, has shown us, Jesus is a compassionate and loving God who came not only to meet our physical needs, but to his people meet, his, meet their spiritual needs. Our hearts can be made perfect like Christ because he is the perfect sacrifice. He has paid our debt and has imputed to us, he has given to us his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Our hearts can be surrendered to Jesus because Matthew has taught us over and over again that our God has absolute authority over all things. 
He has authority over our sickness, over creation. He has authority over every square inch of the spiritual realm. This is our God. And it's easy to be surrendered to a God like that. If we were to continue reading the rest of the story, we would see that the disciples are an example that this task is not impossible. They left all that they had and followed Jesus. Jesus had promised them already their entrance into eternal life. And he promises to you and to me. This promise is to all who would willingly leave this world, forsake it all for Christ and for his kingdom. Is that you today? You might be thinking, I have never heard this message before. If that's you, that was the gospel. And Christ is asking you, he's beckoning you to come. If you would just confess your sins, if you would turn from this world and decide to follow Jesus, Jesus says, you can have eternal life. But church, I don't want you to miss it because many times you see this passage and you're like, oh, this is an evangelistic passage. This is for the person who does not believe yet. No, no, no. This is a reminder to us of what our hearts need to be. This past week, was your heart dependent on God? This past week, did you come in confidence because of Christ through confession and repentance, knowing what Christ has done for you already? This past week, did you surrender your day, your week to Jesus? Or did you live on your own accord? Christ beckons us. In my youthful days, I never had the assurance that I would make it to first class because I didn't have the right ticket. But today I am confident I will enter the kingdom, not because of what I have done, not because of I have, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that you today? Do you stand in that same confidence? Church, we're gonna transition into a time of response. And normally in this time, it's easy to respond to sermons the same way we respond to television or movies or plays. We think, you know what, he did, it was a pretty good job. I might listen to that again. You know, I might show up and maybe I'll just catch the tail end of that because, you know, the beginning just didn't, didn't hit. That's not what God desires of us when we come to hear of his word. See, we believe God's word is alive and active. We believe that God's word speaks today and he's speaking to every individual in here. The question is, will you heed and respond? Let me give you a few ways of how you can respond. One, if you have never believed in the message of Jesus Christ, today is your day. Believe and be saved. Church, two, be reminded of the greatness of our God. 
That which was impossible was made possible for us in Christ Jesus. And that makes Christ a worthy recipient of our worship and of our dependence and of our surrender. So surrender and depend this week. At this time, our pastor John is going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. He's going to lead us in a time to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word, to heed the word of God and to respond. And I would just ask, just ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me to listen? Listen.